So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. How good was that? We didn't think we'd have any Australian victories to talk about, but we do. Oh, that was a good weekend of rugby. So much nicer to actually be able to come in here and talk about some sort of victory. You're listening to the Running Rugby Podcast. Archie, Toby and Leo here with you as always. And before we get into the rounds, was there something you wanted to talk about, Leo? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's um, there's a question I've been mulling in my head for the last few weeks, uh, watching these games and and just the way the interpretation of a couple of new or new interpretations of rules are playing out. And uh, we may have mentioned it before, but I, I wanted to ask you whether you think is it possible for a defending team to to overcome that penalty advantage they might have given away in their own twenty-two? It doesn't seem like if you infringe at the ruck or if you're offside. If it, that happens in the 22, the attacking team has a has a blank check to attack and attack and attack, and until the ball gets spoiled and the ref wants to blow it up or the attacking team actually scores, doesn't seem like you can shed it. I think that's the new way of it. You cannot lose an advantage now if you get it. Pretty much most places on the field, I guess, but particularly in the 22, once you get that, you just have license to do whatever you want. And it's definitely changed. It's been that way for a couple of years, though, I think. I feel like it's slowly gone more and more towards that. But should it? Do you reckon it? Do you reckon the defensive team should have some way of actually evening the game up if they do infringe, but then they, you know, follow the rules and the team still gets sort of uh, 10 more phases of good attacking ball, but they get well defended? I don't know. Yeah, it's whether you think of it as a time factor, whether it's a few minutes you get to play with the ball and, you know... And then once that kind of occurs, then, you know, you lose the advantage after that time period or it's a number of phases, set number of phases that the attacking team kind of acknowledges that they have to use that penalty advantage. Mm. And then once they've surpassed that, you know, because once you're in the 22, it's not going to be a distance thing. You can't, unless you score the try, you can't move forward enough for that to disappear in terms of distance moving forward. So, yeah, it's whether they bring in kind of more rules around the interpretation of when that penalty advantage i think ends yeah surely like if you say yeah give them like two rucks three rucks within like that five meter line in front of the line and you have those even with advantage surely that should be enough for most teams to score the try and if you don't maybe you give something back to the defensive team and you say all right advantage is over you've had your chances let's keep moving on with the game i feel like it's more likely that they should that and it would work better if it was more time based thing than a than a distancing. So mm. what I what I think I've seen is if you infringe in if you break the field up in the quarters and you give penalty advantage away in any of those quarters, the team the attacking team pretty much needs to progress into the next quarter of the field before the ref would even consider giving that advantage sort of let it letting it go and continuing the game. So if, if you obviously can't go, aside from scoring a try, you can't get out of the 22. So to me, then, it's, it is a time factor. So if you've managed to hold on to the ball, 
keep going forwards. Like if you're going backwards, the ref just blows it up anyway, so it's not really relevant. But yeah. if you're if you're a bit static, like if, you, if you're making if you're getting through phases and you and you keep inching forward, after a minute, like a minute or two, like that's a long time. If you're if you if you've put two minutes of attack together, you've probably done like twenty phases. And if the defense hasn't infringed again, which would also cause the ref to blow it up, then I feel like it should just kind of be like, all right, no, that's like it's so irrelevant now. What's happening there and then is no longer being affected by some potential infringement like offside. Like we're so far past the influence of that that yeah. uh, moment that it should just kind of it should just disappear. Yeah. Which which yeah, at cause... least gives the defense an, an opportunity to to just try and defend it out. And try and be really clean, and then I think I think attack the teams are doing the right thing in attack now with it as well though. They're actually they're drawing the penalty advantage and they're using that to do something a bit more creative and unexpected, and and saying that sort of targets a, a gap in the team's defence, which makes for exciting rugby. So that's good. Yeah, it's whether you have that time that's passed, and they say okay, advantage over, or at the moment they simply are just blowing it up. Yeah, they decide it's the going penalty. nowhere. The decision the ref will make whether it just disappears and it's play on, or they go bang. And yeah, you got to be going forward. You got to be going forward. You got to yeah. put a few phases together. And if if you're still going forward, and yeah, the, the other the other just very quickly, the other example I, I saw where I thought maybe penalty advantage should have been completed was in the Brumbies Crusaders game this week, where the Crusaders basically dropped the ball over the line. Like they had the opportunity to score a try, and they dropped it cold in the last. Uh, pass so there's not much time for the ref to call it as advantage over but in that moment you could say well you've you've had every possible opportunity for to have the advantage and you still fluffed it should there really be a penalty after that having dropped it over the line or should the defense have actually kind of held them out successfully and and actually get a little reward Hmm. i don't know it's just a yeah it's a very generous interpretation by the game itself and the referees in terms of you know, chancing your arm and, and going for a bit of a, you know, an odd attacking... Um, Chip over the top. Chip over the top in... Um, yeah, in doing the, something in the doing something that's that's a little bit out of character for a normal set of phases. You just high risk, high reward. Because you know that, yeah, you know you're not going to lose anything yeah. by doing it. So in that way, it's probably a positive thing for the but game. Can, and most teams you, are taking that chance too. Yeah. Like they're not can, wasting it. They're, they're not just grinding. You still do that with this with what we're saying but i guess it's something that you're like you can't change in mid-season anyway it's something for them to look at for the next year if they want to try and change things and change that as a bit of a protocol for the refs but let's let's look at this round what were your guys favorite 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 moments for the round queensland reds what an awesome game that was like out of out of the box 27 nil they got to before the um before the lions actually decided to play Mm. some play some rugby and clean up clean up their act like that was just awesome to watch no one no one had it no one had them any chance in this game the lowest scoring team versus the highest scoring team and i'm so glad that they were the ones to to pull the upset this week it was awesome definitely definitely i was even watching that game like i I loved the reds win and like i thought they were going to keep them to nil for a little while there but not the case but my actually favorite round was a favorite part was um, Rohan Yancey van Rensburg, the inside center, like just actually being honest about he got over the line, but he dropped the ball and he didn't make them go up to video replays and stuff. He just went straight up to Angus Garden and goes, oh, I knocked it on. 
and, and he's like, oh, okay, don't need to go to TMO then, let's just go straight back on, let's get the game moving, let's let's not have this stupid break, let's get back to rugby, which I really liked and uh, quite respected from him, but also yeah. pretty happy that You don't see that very often, do you? No, which doesn't make sense. players doing that. It's going to be obvious on a replay. Yeah. If you knock it on, you should just set. Well, when it's when it's super obvious like that, where it's not like you know a mall's fallen on top of you as you're mm. going over the line, you know when it's that blatant that he's dropped the ball, like it's good that he's he's just you know telling him to let's get on with it. Mm. It's in no one's interest to watch that three four times, so it's it's good, very good to see. Um, from my perspective, um, the Highlanders pulling out that win in Pretoria, I think was big for their. For their tour, it's you know the Bulls take nothing away from them. They were super tough in this game and probably looked the better team a lot of the time. And the Highlanders just stuck in there, and it wasn't their best game overall, but they're able to come away with the the win um, through a, a quite a long range penalty goal from Lima Sopawanga. So really good to see them doing well, and hopefully they continue on that um, those winning ways next week. Yes, yeah, Sopawanga. With ice in his veins, pulling the full LeBron, dropping a three after the buzzer to win it. Lovely. I, yeah, I don't think he normally would have got it, but because of the altitude, it flew a bit further, and yeah, he was able to get it over. Yeah, his kicking has good been stuff. really good, really good lately. Match report, round 11. All right, let's have a look at the Australian teams, and we kicked it off on Friday night with the Rebels continuing their South African uh, trip versing the Stormers in Cape Town, and they just couldn't seem to quite put it together for for too long. They were just damaged in the scrum early and never really recovered. Stormers winning this thirty four to the Rebels eighteen. Yeah, and it might have been a little bit disruptive with losing Jack Maddox just before kick off or in the warm up. I'm not exactly sure when he was ruled out, but Sefa came onto the wing and you shifted Hodge to fullback. Um, and brought Tom English into the centre. So a little bit disruptive there, but Sefa, I think, made the most of his opportunity, um, scored a couple of quite easy tries, but he was involved in things. And, you know, it's good to see him and Corabidi, um starting in the same team. But to be honest, for me, I, I was quite disappointed with their play. And, um, you know, the Stormers have been hard to beat at home this season, even though they have been dropping a few away games. They're, they're still unbeaten at home. So we always knew it was going to be a tough task, but... Yeah, I don't know. It just it just seems like the forwards aren't being as dominant as they were um, at the start of the season, and they're not quite setting that strong platform for the the back line. So you're seeing a few guys go one out and and really showing some you know some good performance here and there in terms of during the game. Guys like um, Billy Meeks is still making quite a good impact in the centres, but mm. as a team, they're just not playing as a collective unit like they were um, in the first few weeks. Yeah, and the set piece is a real problem for them at the moment, and I really hope that yeah. um, they can get Ulysses back healthy soon because I don't think... I think Rangi had this really good stretch at the start where he's playing very well, but it's just starting to show a little bit that he's not quite in... His line-out throwing's not quite there, and his scrums, he just sort of... They don't quite mesh that well, and he's just like... He was not being able to strike the ball in any of those scrums, and I know it's. I know there was a lot of pressure coming through a big Stormers pack, but still, it was just. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not seeing him as an ongoing hooker. He seems to be well, I mean, maybe well, yeah. becoming a bit of a target for penalties too, isn't he? I was, mm. He got yeah a little bit. a couple of times. Yeah. He's he's quite. 
he's he's challenging, he's contesting at the ruck, trying to pilfer and not being very successful. And yeah, he's maybe at risk of being sort of just black marked as a, a constant infringer, and that's going to keep them moving backwards, lose their momentum. So not good. Mm. Yeah, and I was looking at trying to work out why, because the Rebels scrum started to get a bit better towards the sort of a car 10, 15 minutes into the second half. And I was looking at it, and I think actually it was when Matt Phillip went off, and I think Jeff Parling must actually be providing a fair bit of weight and good sort of strength through the core of that scrum. Um, I think, Leo, you were talking as well about like Talakai coming on, and he was definitely a bit of a force to shore that up, but... I'm thinking maybe Matt Phillips scrummaging may not be quite up to stand and might actually hurt him a little bit moving forward trying to get that gold jersey back. Yeah, you could be right. I mean, Jeff Parling's a very savvy veteran. He's he's bringing a lot of that skill set of the Northern Hemisphere here in terms of set piece. And mm. um, yeah, just I think he's got a lot of, to be honest, I didn't know he was as quick as he, as he is around the field. He makes some good runs. And yeah, you wouldn't be surprised if maybe he gets a start next week. Um, but yeah, we've been pretty happy with Philip and Coleman overall. I think, yeah, Rangi struggling a little bit. Their props aren't quite set. They haven't found the best combination for their front row either. And it's similar to their back row. You've got, you know, Murphy there, who's going to be picked every week. But then who plays six and seven? It seems like they're trying to rotate. Can we please start Fainga? Yeah, Fainga deserves a go, whether you put Cottrell at six, um, because he is, you know... He's one of those guys, a bit like the Tom Cusacks of the Brumbies and Michael Wells, where he's, you know, he's got a big engine and he gets around the field well. But yeah, I don't think he's a. He should be playing seven every week. I think someone like Colby came on, made an impact, and he deserves to play a full game. Mm-hmm. Um, because honestly, we've been having a look as well. We'll talk about this a bit later with the Wallabies back row. Um, the stocks are a little bit limited at the moment. So to see someone like Colby. Um, you know, he gets some time at seven. He couldn't end up being in that Wallabies squad um, if he gets an opportunity with the Rebels. So it'd be good to see. I think Vessels needs to just, you know, as we talked about last week, that he needs to pick a back row and stick with it. I'm quite a big fan of Lepetti Tamani, but he seems to be a little bit out of form and giving away silly penalties. So wouldn't be adverse to having Cottrell at six and Colby at seven. Mm. I think Lepetti needs a couple of weeks playing for the club back to club level and just have a couple of weeks get his confidence back because he's just not he's not being as physically yeah. damaging unless he's throwing shoulders in the ruck um, as yeah. he normally should be uh, I think look he's a, he's a confidence player and it reminds me a little bit of we used to see him playing for the Waratahs at the start of his career um, and if he doesn't have that confidence he's just a completely different player so mm. hoping he can find that form again because when he is on song um, you know, super damaging player and, and got a lot of good skills around the park, even carrying the ball as well. So, yeah, let's let's hope he gets back to it. So, and just quickly, Archie, you, you forecast this one. The Rebels needed to defend well in the centres, stop uh, Dialende storming through, and they didn't. And the Stormers definitely targeted Debrusini. They, they ran over the top of him a couple of times. And he had an off night with the boot as well, which which probably hurt their hurt their momentum if they were, they were trying to chase anything down. They, they weren't picking up those extra points here and there. I think they, they left at least, uh, well, probably five or six out on the field from penalties and, mm-hmm. and a conversion, I think. So it's not it's all little stuff. Like you you feel like if you score a try, you, you want those seven points. You're kind of banking on it 
you know, chasing down another seven points and then you miss the kicks and suddenly you score a couple of tries and you're only got 10 instead of 14 and you did that gap just, you know, you almost earn yourself a whole another try you've got to score. Um, it, that's that's just one week. It's It wasn't necessarily a typical thing of Debrezzini. That that whole back line's a little bit disjointed because they keep changing and, they, you know, Hale Petty's out and then late late notice Maddox is out. Um like we 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 won't should go on again about it. But they, they just, we just want to see them pick a, a a lineup, and hopefully the guys can stay healthy enough that they can run those guys out three four weeks in a row and really cement some combinations and develop that defensive understanding in their structure. Doesn't get any easier, does it, Arch? Next week they they come over to the Crusaders, so yeah, exactly. not a great tour for them. And and yeah, they're hitting probably a Crusaders team that. Didn't you know? Weren't at their best completely against the Brumbies, and I think they'll probably be pretty fired up to take advantage of a, a Rebels team that's struggling a bit. So mm. you know, it gets tougher for them. Yeah, and they obviously are missing Genia, but they need someone else to act as a distributor in that back line. And I don't think having Hodge at fullback doesn't really act there. You need like Hale Petty or you need a Maddox there to slot in as that second playmaker. In comparison to that, though, the Stormers, I mean, you're right, they haven't quite got up to true form, but they do enough and they win at home, which is, look, if we had Australian teams that could at least win all their home games, we'd be pretty stoked with that. So you gotta you got to like them for that. They're actually mm. going to lose um, Willemsa, though, not next week, but the week after. Um, he's going on the their under-20s Springboks tour um, in preparation for their World Championship, so... They probably need to have a look at who's yeah. going to slot in there because they, they looked a bit more at sea earlier in the season when he was out for a couple of games. It's pretty disruptive for them because he has been a good find and obviously that's why he's getting picked for the under-20s. They want to see him, you know, dominating for, for that team. But, you know, the Stormers by no means are... Like, they're falling out of contention, I think, for the, for the playoffs. So losing him may just do it for them. Well, they're sitting in fourth at the moment and they're only in fourth on um i think wins versus the sharks because they're both on 18 points and with with willems stepping out the bulls seem to be resurgent the haguaras are on a bit of a run at the moment like they they've definitely got a, a harder path to to run down the top of their conference yeah it'd be tough yeah definitely let's look ahead and oh, this is the game we probably all want to talk about the the classic from the Queensland Reds beating the Lions, showing the Waratahs how they should have been playing last week. But the Reds got out early. They scored the most points of their season, 27 points, beating the Lions, fending off the late comeback from the Lions, um, taking it by five. So first first half in this game was all Reds. The, the Lions couldn't do anything right. They were really untidy. A lot of passes going to ground. Um, just the, the again backline looked disjointed, and the Reds in there with their aggressive defensive style really capitalised on that and took a lot of balls straight off those errors. And you know they got in in the Lions half early, got in the set piece. JP Smith rumbles over for a try. Lions come back still untidy, knocking the ball on. Then they're forcing passes out wide. They throw an intercept to Timu who, who jogs down Timu. fifty meters. Didn't look, wasn't sure if he was going to make it. He um he hasn't got the longest stride, but he but he did what he needed to do, and and that's another try. And they didn't convert either of those, but but still ten nil. That's great. They, the ball gets kicked back, and Dalgunu gets a massive breakout. Karevi's supporting. Hamish Stewart's there. Like 
everything was just linking up and, and they done, they'd done a good job in that first sort of 15, 16 minutes. And then the rain came and they adjusted pretty well. Uh, they were just playing as a, a really cohesive group. And it, actually, Stuart, I thought, played particularly well in his run on debut. Um, he, he had a, a moment there where he, where he sort of snuck through the line. It was very Stephen Larkham-esque. He just sort of shaped, shaped to, to pass out to the right-hand side and just, just ghosted through the line. Um, and then within a couple of carries, uh, Brendan Payne and Mosa had gone over for their third. So they were doing everything right. They were holding the possession. They were frustrating the Lions by pressing up quickly. And, yeah, it took about 50 minutes for the Lions to come back, and, and they dominated for about 10 minutes there too, but it was just too little too late. Yeah, and let's, I mean, big shout-out to Dalgunu. Um, I think he had an amazing game. Mm. It's one of the highlights for me from the game. And he's kicking as well. Like, I didn't know that he was capable yeah. of that. Yeah, really good. Um, so I think he's a real find for the Reds. And even possibly for the Wallabies, if Sefer and people like Korobedi are a bit out of form, Dalgunu could be there coming off the bench for the Wallabies because he's he's super quick. He can kick. He's got seems to have a pretty good rugby brain on him and he, he understands the game pretty well, reads it pretty well. Um, not the biggest bloke, but yeah, things things like that where he's got that amount of speed can get him out of trouble all of the time with his defensive reads. If he makes a slight mistake, he can adjust. So it's good to see. Critical critical kick too. Like his penalty, there they thankfully took the penalty and didn't go for another try. That's that's the three point um, the three points they needed to win this game. Like that that penalty is critical. So that was that was a good decision there, mature decision. To, to take that penalty and, and then the Lions came back with force and, and they did the same thing back back to the Reds. They held the ball. They, they didn't give them any possession. I think they had 100% possession over about 11 minutes um, and they showed that they are pretty unstoppable in the, in the set piece with the Mauls. Um, but, yeah, Dalguna was great. Uh, Hamish Stewart was good. Ben Lucas. Ben Lucas had a good um, a good game at half and really all the fours. I couldn't... I couldn't I don't think that any of the forwards had an off game. They really were eight guys all working really hard, really cohesive, good scrums. Um, you know, all they didn't, the only errors they made in the first half were a few knock-ons. They, they were only copped one penalty in the whole first half. Yeah, no, all the, I think the forwards really stood up here and yeah, it was leading from the front with JP Smith early on. Like that's, I've watched him for a couple of years between um, the Reds and the Brumbies. Um, but that's the best game I've ever seen him play, and I think my, maybe partly because he's taking on some of his fellow countrymen, but I think that was a lot of the reason why the Lions looked so unsettled early is because they were had a team that was being physical and muscling up up front and stopping them. at the They weren't getting quick ball in the rucks, and it just put their whole sort of back line off, and you didn't see them getting these big um, loopy passes out wide to those quick wingers because the defence was always set and always ready. And so they were in a bit stuck, and it just put Yankees off. And we saw more handling errors than we've seen from the Lions in a fair while. Yeah, Yankees didn't assert himself on this game at all. Um, someone like Malcolm Marks was still very strong and, and dominated in the second half. Just shows the class of player he is, and he's mm. going to have a big year, I think, for the, the Springboks. But, yeah, the Reds, we, we said they had to be physical, and that's what they did. They really muscled up and, and led by, I think, Rodder and Kane Douglas again. Also, that front row very strong. George Smith kind of didn't overplay his hand. He was, he was everywhere, but he, you know, he wasn't necessarily noticeably carrying the ball that much or anything like that. 
but I think just having him there inspired probably some of the young guys around him. Um, so, yeah, just super impressive by the Reds. And this is what we like to see. They brought the intensity again. That had fallen off for the last couple of games at least. Um, and it looks like they've got that that fire back in the belly to really, you know, back themselves and, and be intimidating physically. So that's what they need to do. And hopefully they can, you know, continue to score some more points and, you know, consistently get over that 20-point mark. Because you can see their defense is strong enough. If they score over 20, they're going to win games. Yeah, I think you're right. And look, my my prediction now, I reckon Hamish Stewart did enough then to keep his spot at 10. I think he definitely definitely fits quite well there and he's a good sort of attacking player. His kicking needs work and I think he probably needs someone to help with his kicking on the field. Um, I'm I'm sort of pitching maybe we bring Lance back in, but maybe put him into that 15 jumper and yeah. let Tower have a sort of play off the bench bit because you have got a bit more... I thought you might say that. Yeah, because yeah. I mean, he's still got the defensive chops. He's got some good kicking to help out Stewart at the back there. And he's played 15 before. Yeah. I reckon that would be a really good sort of connection between those guys. I reckon that could definitely work because Toa, Toa, if anyone was weak in that back line, I still think it was Toa. He seems to want to kick the ball quite often when he's when he's out in that wide channel next to his winger. And he just never runs from an up depth. Uh, he just always seems to get the ball right in front of people, panic, drop it onto the toe. And I, th- I think you're right. I think coming off the bench, maybe bringing a bit of sort of late game spark uh, and Jono back into fullback. I, I don't think you can leave Jono Lance out. He's, he's too mature and, and too good a tactical kicker. And he's great defensively. The amount of cover defense he does already anyway, he, he, could, be, he could be 15 uh, with Hamish Stewart there. And that would give them, I think that could be pretty strong really. Yeah, and also the other young winger, Patea. thought he was really impressive as well. Really he's good game. Very young he's guy. massive. Good defensive reads. He's a big guy. He's quick. Good defensive reads. You know, yeah. wasn't doing the whole Henry Spate thing coming off his wing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Del Duno as well, obviously. He held off a yep. guy and actually made that made that second last man pass it to the wing mm. and then tackled the winger. Into touch. And covered yep. the whole thing on, on his own yeah. in touch. Like that, that yep. was... You know, maybe, maybe it was just a fluke, but that he looked like he was making conscious decision. I needed to just hold this guy. Okay, now I can go. And he, he didn't let them through. So. Yeah, he didn't drop his head. Yeah. didn't just throw a shoulder into the guy after he passed it. He actually... It worked for him. Yeah, it was, it was very good to see. So I think that's that's the back line, isn't it? You bring in Lance to 15, yeah. and I think the rest of them probably you keep leave it as up. is. Yeah. yeah. I, I like Chris Follette Sortia. I think he's a good defensive 13, and I don't know that you need... A whole lot more than what he's bringing at the moment. Like I don't think you need to in, inject another playmaker, uh, not playmaker, like a an X Factor player, like a Karevi in there just for the sake of. I, I think it's um, they've got a good combination Karevi now. The defensive combination seems to be really good. So yeah, did I just no, say I about the Lions? Did Did you notice how slow the Lions were in that first half at the rucks and lineouts? They they were like they were leaving the ball in the ruck as long as they possibly could. That like usually they're really spirited, really yeah. rapid, rapid fire, frantic almost in attack, spinning the ball out and again and again and again. And I don't know if it is, have they had a change at halfback? That guy wasn't their normal. That wasn't their normal halfback, was it? Nah, it looks looks like Ross Cronier, but it's not. Yeah, it's so it's, so he was really like slowed yeah. with the ball and and maybe I don't know if I don't know if that affected them, but until that they changed their entire style at about the fifty fifth minute, just ground it through the forwards, like that that gave them a lot less energy and, and vigor than previous weeks where they've really rolled other teams. 
It was probably just a cheeky blood transfusion at halftime. You know, they probably forgot <laughs> to do it before the game, and you know, that's why they didn't look as sprightly. <laughs> Did the no, they, but that's that's their style, and and they didn't they didn't play like that in the first half, and they went into into forward grinding mode. They went nine or ten phases and drew the offside. Then they played the advantage out like. That was a lot smarter. They got a couple of tries. When that was happening, I was really worried. But thankfully, the Reds had put enough points down already that they they really weren't going to get run down. You know, I think actually having the Hurricanes this coming week, I reckon they had a good win against the Waratahs. They probably overlooked this Reds team a little bit. Thought we're going to take this one pretty easily. And then we got a really tough game against the Hurricanes. So I reckon they were looking a week ahead. And the Reds probably caught them off guard. And they, they couldn't actually lift enough to catch up to that 27 point deficit so you know awesome to see though like keep going with that red so hopefully they can build upon that performance yeah exactly it's a real credit to what brad thorne's been doing up there in queensland he's really seems like he's really brought together a really strong sort of team and they all play for each other and they you can see how much they were loving in that game actually good culture yeah exactly and you're right, yeah, Lions are going to have to have a tough game ahead of them heading over to New Zealand now, um, just having one win from their two Australian games. Later that afternoon, though, we had the Brumbies down in GIO Stadium again, and the Crusaders came to town. And look, they have a long history, Brumbies and Crusaders. I think they're the two most successful super clubs um, in terms of overall sort of win percentage, but in recent years... That has not gone the Brumbies' way, and there was no different on Saturday night. Uh, Brumbies, uh, there was actually no tries or no points scored in the second half of this game. So halftime score Crusaders twenty-one to eight, and that didn't change at full time either. But Brumbies couldn't even score when they were against thirteen men. They're playing dumb football as well. They're often kicking for the corner when they should be taking the points. You know, I remember in previous years the Brumbies were known for playing smart football, and it just seems like that's gone out the window. They're just tactically all over the place. And, you know, not having Pocock in this game did make a big difference, I think. The Crusaders weren't particularly good either, but, you know, just did enough to, to be able to take this one. They don't have that spine of really experienced leaders in, in that in that team at the moment. Like, their, their most senior guy, I think, was probably Sam Carter. And, you know, you've got Scott Seo. You know, should be should be sort of looking as as one of the younger leaders, but Matt Lucas to Hawera, yeah, the back lines yeah. it's a problem. Forwards, well, the forwards are decent. I, I, I wouldn't put it on on only the backs. I, I think you're right though; they weren't playing smart. Like that that period where they were up against fourteen, then thirteen men, and the first thing they decided to do off the yellow card penalty was kick it out. They then played a five or six man line out, which meant that the Crusaders were able to match them, and then they threw it to the middle directly over Sam Whitelock, and he and he stole it. Like that's all of that built like adds up to a, a terrible mistake. That's just yeah. stupid. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's they didn't look like they had tactics there. Like literally, they'd taken a scrum, and then they got the penalty. They got the guy sent off. And then they kicked it to the line. And I'm like, well, you just had a penalty for a scrum. Why do you not just keep going with the scrum that you got a penalty from? All right, go to the line out. They then had like two line outs where the other, where Crotty ended up going off. And then they went back to a scrum. And I was like, what? Yeah. If you're choosing to do something yeah. that's working and you're getting penalties from it, just stick with it. And it, it looked like, really, like 
yeah, okay, Yako sent off two players for the Crusaders. He's, like, just trying to even it up. It's like you're playing the, the special team in, like, primary school sports and we're like, we'll give you... We'll give t- you a few extra players to run around and it didn't it didn't even look like it on the field the brumbies were just running sideways and everyone cramped around the ball and then it pretty much tackling and each they other. lost the ball yeah they couldn't even secure it in the ruck they lost a forward on that first on that first play after the was it after the scrum and you know the crusaders are smart they caught they start uh, resetting scrums they drag their feet to every set piece uh, I think someone, or, but even one of the Brumbies, I think uh, Falau Fainga went down at one point and burned a bit of time there. There was no urgency from the Brumbies. Yeah, it's it was really disappointing. Like that, that's your moment. Like you, mm-hmm. you're still in the game. You're within two converted tries. You score two converted tries, and you're against 13 men. Can you imagine what the Crusaders would do to a Brumbies team with 13 men? Yeah, they would have scored two converted tries comfortably. I would say they were probably on the on the high on the side higher side of that. Yeah, I, I think coaching is a big factor here. If Stephen Larkin was still in charge, the Brumbies would play, be playing a lot differently. And it's you know they got similar playing stocks. Um, Enver at six didn't really work. I didn't Played see that game, as though. a benefit. Yeah, he's he's Good fit fitness. enough to be doing that, but he's not a six. Yeah. Um, you know, Tom Banks still. You know, I'm pretty impressed with him. He, yeah, he has a lot bad. of potential and he you know he tries to make things happen but Andrew Smith didn't offer much at 12 he didn't last very long Jackson Hope Jackson Hope looks Jackson good. Hope needs he looks quick he looks mm. like he's up for it he needs needs to have a go in there in the centers where I don't think you can go anywhere else from him um, he's probably going to be there for the rest of the year um, James Muirhead probably a little bit like Jackson Hope picks up the pace a bit when he comes on which is a good thing um, but they just, yeah, I don't know. They just need to sort out their tactics overall. They do have a lot of good players within that team and they need to harness the individual abilities of these players. I don't really know what to say about them. I I thought the, the Brumbies would be really up for this game and they just didn't seem to bring that intensity. Um, it's disappointing and I'm, I'm not sure really where they go from here at all. I just don't know what to say. What, what do you um, think happens when Lele Fano's ready to come back what what, what does the back line look like I think look I think you'll probably go back to 12 whether that really helps him that much I don't know I think I want to see Jackson Hope there at 12 see how he kind of yeah. forms a partnership with Hawera. Um if Hawera has a few off games maybe Christian comes back at 10 but I feel like this season's a little bit of a write-off for them and they do need to be looking at bringing in some more you know, high-level players into this team because, like I've said, the, the forwards are, you know, they've got Sia, Alalatoa, Rory Arnold, Nysarani, Pocock when he's fit. Those guys in a forward pack, you get some other key pieces around them and they'll be a good team. Um, but tactically, they just need to sort their shit out. Like, that's pretty much the bottom line of it. Well, the fact is, not having Pocock there and not having, like, McCaffrey or anything, they literally had no one that was getting over the ball and even, like, challenging for a pilfer. They definitely didn't get a pilfer at any point in the game. I don't even think they turned over the Crusaders unless it was a couple of times the ball, like, spurted out of the ruck. But it wasn't, like, from them being over there. And it just allowed the Crusaders to do whatever they want because they weren't going to lose the ball unless they screwed up. 
they honestly do have the potential to play a bit like the Reds and be physical up front and dominate through their forward pack and then set a decent you know, platform for their back line. At the moment, they're not doing that. They're trying to, you know, they're almost passing the ball without actually going to the line. They're just shuffling it back and forth across the field and they're not threatening at all. They're not kind of mixing up their plays. Mm. You know, the Brumbies used to be known for their set plays, really intricate, stylish plays in the back line, and there's just none of that now. There just seems to be bad decision-making and, and very, I don't know, lacklustre shuffling from left to right, right to left, and, and they're not getting through the line. They're not making line breaks. And, and that's what we said last week, that the ball just seems to go sideways through the hands quite early rather than really engaging the defence in the line and throwing it a bit later so yeah. you're really drawing people out of position. You, you can't yeah. expect to just shift it and go, this time we're going with, no, outside centre's going to run it up, then we're going to bring it back um, two sets of hands and, the, you know, we're going to have a pot of forwards. Like, you've got to, you, you've got to have some uh, consideration on the fly. You've got to get Huera taking up the, to the line um, and, and trying to hit a guy who's running a, a good line at a gap where the defense isn't going to get a chance to react. They can't close that gap if he's receiving it as he goes through the gap. But they're just it shuffling is, it around, as you said. It's You're right. I think it, it does start with Huera when he takes it to the line. It um, starts with the forwards. It changes the whole shape. You've got to be going forward. No, I think, forwards. look, yeah, the forwards as well. But, but beyond you know, that, Huera does have the propensity to kind of just pass it on, just shuffle, shuffle the ball on without actually doing anything mm. there. And that's what such a benefit, having someone like Bernard Foley that takes it direct to the line. John O'Lance can do it too. I think Stuart was doing it a bit. Yeah. Um, people like Debrecini do yeah. Just, oh, here we go. I've got Debrecini's the ball. Pass 50, it 50. Mm. He does do it occasionally, but not he enough. He plays well when he... But these guys, they do have the potential. They've got to do it, and that's when they play their best games. Yeah. But mm. at the, it's just not happening. Mm. Compared to that, you have the Crusaders, obviously clinical as ever on the other side of the ball as we said, playing down to 14, 13 men and still not letting conceding a point. And look, they've, they've put this overseas sort of tour together with sort of a couple of wins over in South Africa and now they've got a win in Australia and they're heading to Melbourne to catch up with the Rebels this week. And they're, they're putting together the startings of what could be a championship season. I mean, yeah, they've lost a few injuries, but they have people like Dag and stuff coming back. And after that June test window, if they suddenly get Richie Moonga back and they get Kieran Reid healthy, they're just going to they're gonna be very, very hard to beat in come finals time because they're just so experienced and they just yeah, they have so much depth. I agree, Arch. I think it's key to have those guys, a lot of those guys back from injury. Mm. Um, they can take games like this because they are well-drilled and they do have... You know, decent depth, but I don't think they'll be able to contest the title with a team like this that they put out on the weekend. Once they get those key guys back, um, hopefully Dags are right after collecting one in the in the jaw. Um, he didn't look so good when he got up after that. But guys like that, Moanga, like you say, um, you get those guys back, and yeah, they can probably take on someone like the Hurricanes and and probably you know beat them up front in some ways. They've got a great forward pack. Hurricanes probably have more strength in their back line, but Crusaders just continue to rack up the wins, and that's what's so impressive. They just fight through adversity. There's no excuses there, um, and they just find a way to get it done. Mm. Let's look around at some of the other games. You said the Hurricanes, and they took on the Sunwolves on Friday. 
afternoon. Um, the Hurricanes coming away with the win, 43-15. to 15, And it was... Sunwolves did put up a bit of a fight early. And, look, the Hurricanes could have scored more. Vince Arso had to score three tries before he got one awarded. They kept having to go back and take these tries off him. But he ended up with two on the day anyway. So he can't be too disappointed about that. TMO was very busy in this game. Called a lot of stuff back. And I suppose it's... It's good that they get the decision correct, but we want them to do it pretty efficiently because we don't want it to drag on the momentum of the game for, for the spectators' sake and for the players' sake. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the Sunwolves, they, they, they showed the even the Hurricanes are human early on. Like they, they kept it really close as a pack, owned, owned the ball for two to three minutes and eventually drew that penalty advantage from offside from five metres out, and they, they crashed it over through their captain. And that that model, like that two or three minutes there at the start of the game, shows that no matter who your opposition is, if you have the basics and the structure to hold the ball, go through phases, and just keep sucking in more and more defence and wearing them down, the, the, the opportunities come. And the, again, patience, the patience to, to do that um, seems to be a bit too hard to find for some of our teams, not just the Australian teams. It always seems to be we're trying to we're trying to put some amazing play together on the third or fourth phase and break out. It's I just don't think it's necessary. I don't understand why that's the focus. But um, the Hurricanes eventually they they obviously good with the ball. They they got their own gains off a few successive penalties, started scoring points, and after that it, it did go fairly one way. But you know, just that moment early in the game was really demonstrative of, of what you can do no matter who you are against the top team. Own the ball and, and don't don't give any ground, earn some points. Mm. And a few returns to form for people like Savia on the wing. He's got a new haircut, but he was looking much more back to his old form as the bus. Um, Adia Savia came back and was looking good. And Nehe Milner Scudder, we saw him off the bench. Um, back and running almost I think he almost let in a try but managed to get back and save it after he copped a bit of a knock after a high ball you'd have to think that Sevilla has been watching Ben Lamb after being in and out of the team this year and just being like mate I've got to get my stuff together this guys like this are going to end up taking my spot in the All Blacks mm. um, so it was good to see him back back to form in some respects and yeah that, that Hurricanes backline like it's it's hard to come up with a backline that's more dynamic than that in perhaps even the history of Super Rugby. Like they've just got so many great players across that whole backline. There's barely a weak link there. Could be good for them to get TJ Perinara back eventually. I think they're not quite as potent without him there directing play. Um, but still, yeah, look, put thirty points on the team like the Sunwolves pretty easily and. Um, you know, they're going to be scary come playoff time. I, I can't see, there's not really a team at the moment I can see beating them if they continue on this path. Yeah, well, they get to versus the Lions next week. So, tough. That should be actually a really good game to see. Um, good measuring stick. Sort of, yeah, jump back. And I'm sure that's probably something we might, might be a preview of the grand final this year potentially. But we'll see. Um, next game was... Playing in the bath in Eden Park in Auckland, the Blues taking on the Hagiwaras, and God, they were swimming by the end of it. There was so much rain pouring down, which 
I mean, didn't, didn't Constrict play too much? There wasn't a too much drop ball more than usual for these teams, but the Hagiwaras get another win on the road, winning this one by 7, 20 to 13. We talked about it, Archie. You won some money on this game. You're wise enough to put down a bet after we just saw, you know, these you odds tip them. seem ridiculous. Yeah, look, I don't think... I don't think necessarily we were wrong to be tipping the Blues. Like, this was a game where the Blues should have been confident to win it if they were playing up to standard, but they just can't seem to find any consistency and they lack discipline. Um, Again, they just don't play smart football like the rest of the New Zealand teams. Um, It's frustrating. And, And there was no one at this game. Like, you looked in the stands, it was, like, empty. It's a bit of a sad story. And... I've heard from from a few other sources that, you know, the Warriors in the NRL are actually drawing all the crowds these days in Auckland. So it's not a great thing for rugby when your biggest city in New Zealand, um, you know, can barely draw a crowd for the domestic team. You know, for the good of good of rugby overall and super rugby, I think, you know, the Blues need to get back to, to where they were at the start of super rugby in, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s when they were contesting titles. Um, it's a, it's a bit of a sad story at the moment. I don't know. How I do think that? I think they actually need to completely, you know, start again with this franchise. They they do have some key guys that they can build around, like the Yuani brothers, um, and there are a lot of talented guys in their backline. Um, but I think the culture there is broken. They don't seem to be playing for each other. There's been a lot of chat about the fact. Look, it's a big city. They don't form the partnerships that these guys mm. form down playing for the Chiefs where they spend, you know, ample time off the field together, really building that culture and that bond between players. And that's something the Brumbies used to do in Canberra. They'd all live close together. They'd be spending lots of time together and there'd be such a good culture being built around the club. The Blues don't seem to have that at all. They seem to be kind of a lot of the time playing one out. Um and it's, you know, it is a bit sad to see because we're used to the New Zealand teams performing at such a high level and the Blues are such an outlier at the moment. So, you know, I don't... I think it starts from next season. This season they've won two games. Um, I don't see them, you know, having any chance of getting to the playoffs of the, at this stage. So at the I start think of the, the year, they looked thing, a lot I think better. that's right. I think what you're saying is right. Like, do you want them to be a group of mates first and... You know, that leads into them playing as a team on the field as well. Um, I just think I was, they're getting into a situation where, you know, when things aren't going right, you know, a tight group will get tighter. I feel like this group is just probably thinking, shit, okay, I, what about next year? Am I going to have a contract? Do I need to look, be looking overseas? We're not winning here. How is this going to help me get into the All Blacks? Like they're probably thinking a lot more about their individual selves rather than how they can work together as a team. Um, and it probably, if you look at the teams they've been putting out, they haven't had consistent lineup either, which hasn't done them any favors. Again, we talk about Yuani moving around the back line, so there's quite a few things for them to sort out. There's something in that too, like maybe the Reds. There you go, Red, Reds and Blues as a as a bit of a juxtaposition for each other like to have a team who like the reds who've been sort of under the palm having defensive uh issues and and attacking issues and you know they could just fall apart and turn into a bunch of individuals but they are being held together 
and they are playing for each other and then they come out and have a game like they did against the Lions and then the Blues a similar sort of situation they're they're being talked about as the weaker end of their conference uh, cellar dwellers recent form is bad and they become more disparate as they continue to struggle rather than being a tighter yeah. group and I thought so, you know someone like Tana Umanga would be able to kind of keep these players together and and you know gr- keep them grounded um, keep them playing for each other but it just doesn't seem like he's able to be doing that I think they need a new coach in there um, they need to go through the roster and really work out who wants to be there who's a good team player and who's kind of playing for themselves. And someone like Sonny Bill probably isn't a great, you know, cultural figure to be building around in terms of someone that's not an individual. He's he's very much um, thinking about what he's going to do next. And I think that's something, of, you know, why Brad Thorne is reluctant to bring Quade Cooper back perhaps because he is probably very self-focused. Um, I'm not saying he's a bad guy by any means, but... Brad Thorne's made an active decision to keep a bunch of young guys in the squad, other senior guys that are obviously very, um, you know, selfless in their approach, looking to build these young guys up, not worried about their position in the team. The Blues need to find some senior guys like that. I think James Parsons does that, but there's not a lot of guys around him. Um, so, yeah, look, we really, I think... They lost this game, but the Jags, credit to them, that's three in a row, and I think you guys have some comments on them. Three in a row on tour. Third game, obviously, on the tour, then then they come to New Zealand, and my tipping for the Blues, I, I felt really strongly that the Hags were in a in a good uh, position to, to potentially win this game and upset them, but I sort of felt, ah, you know, New Zealand team at home, I think you've got to, you've got to go with the home team in that situation. New Zealand, very hard country to... To tra- travel to and, and get the win, but the the Hags didn't. They, this didn't play out quite the same way as some of their other games. They they didn't get away early with a lead. They got they got a try first up after Yuani got the yellow card, but then the Blues hit back with two tries, and in, within half an hour they were they were out ahead again. And it took the Hags into the second half to really fight back into this game after things dried up a little, and they didn't fall apart when they were behind. They didn't lose the ball a lot when it was soaking wet. Two things that I, you know, stereotype the Hags to suffer from, but you know that's pretty impressive. This, this is a team that's, um, again, been a bit of a, a basket case, and then they go and they do something that what only the Crusaders have managed to do: win three games on their big tour. That's that's pretty impressive. You've got to give credit for that. And now they're second, I think, on the on the on the sack. They're second in the sack, uh, more wins than the Bulls, so they're up in second place. This is something the Jags, I think. This is probably the best they've played, you know, consistently week to week since they've been in Super Rugby. Mm. Um, I know for sure they wouldn't have won three games away from home on the trot. Um, but you can see under Ledesma, they have a bit more balance. They seem to be keeping their discipline more, um, which is important. Um, so they're not making those silly mistakes and giving away points um, to these teams. And, yeah, it's it's paying off for them. They, they do have a, a good shot now of playing finals footy which is really good to see because i think you know how how much these guys play together they play with the national team they play for the pumas um and a lot of them then front up for the haguaros in super rugby so they they've got those you know they're familiar with each other playing together and i think when the pressure's on if they make the finals that's going to be really valuable yeah they're a tough team to predict so um definitely 
potential for upsets and and um, I don't I think that that all the other teams are coming up against their opposition are, are going to have to consider them a real threat and definitely not not get too complacent don't underestimate them they they're doing it at home and away now so good on them yeah and it starts with the Chiefs next week um, the last game of their tour but then so that's that's going to be a tough one to pick as well I think and then they get to go home and they have get to play uh, let me pull it up the Bulls, Sharks and Stormers all at home so three South African teams that are sort of coming into form but in South America and the Hags coming off this sort of big strong um, string of wins they, they might actually be able to solidify themselves in sort of second place in that conference if they pull out a few if they get another sort of three victories in the next four games god they're going to be hard to catch up to the final game of the round that we have to talk about um we already mentioned a bit earlier out of loftus uh, the bulls taking on the highlanders and as we said before L- lima lebron sapuanga kicks the penalty to put the highlanders up by one and this is a game of two halves really the bulls sort of came out strong in the first half and the highlanders sort of were holding on and then in the second half they sort of got their act together and got a bit harder but Highlanders won this with only 30% possession of the whole game. Yeah, that's ridiculous. And the Bulls came, you know, in the last, say, 20 minutes, they turned it on a bit. I was worried that the the Highlanders wouldn't be able to pull this one out. But they managed to do it without territory, without possession. Um, and that's what I was talking about before. These, these teams that grind out these wins, um, particularly away from home, just really good signs building into the latter half of the season because that's the kind of, you know, steel and metal you need to show to actually um, be competitive come finals. So someone like the Crusaders show it, the Hurricanes, even though they can be a bit erratic at times, they tend to be able to close out these games and now the Highlanders and even the Chiefs are doing it too. So really good to see from the Highlanders. It's hard to win. Um, at altitude in Pretoria, in Joburg. These games are notoriously hard to get. So particularly with the Bulls team, I think that we've all, again, super impressed with the amount they're doing with with the talent they have on their roster is is, is pretty impressive. Yeah, that um, way that the Highlanders took penalties that when they had the opportunity, they didn't have all the possession or the territory. They, they smartly accumulated some points. It was, uh, you know, it ended up being the difference. And and if you remember the final try the Bulls scored, like I question whether maybe it should have been blown up for obstruction because they ran a pretty solid line of interference uh, to to get that try. But the, the just the way the Highlanders they built their points, they kept themselves close even under duress, minimal possession, and and just class. And you, that's an, like you said, it's another team of New Zealand players. When you bring the All Blacks together, you've got guys from four four or even five teams, but four teams that are consistently winning in not five. difficult... Yeah, maybe not five. <laughs> but four teams that are winning under difficult circumstances in it, in places like Pretoria at altitude, what does that give to the All Blacks? That gives them a, a group sense of, oh, we, we came here during Confidence. the Super season and, and knocked these guys over. I'm not afraid to go to Pretoria. I'm not afraid to go to Joburg. I'm not afraid to go to, um, uh, to Argentina. You know that they just—it's just—it's just another stadium to them. There's there's very little history in their in their way. So it's awesome if you're New Zealand, like the 
that's exactly what you want. A lot of different guys coming in and, and probably feeling quite comfortable when they're traveling. Yeah. So, look, I think the way it's panned out and the way performances have panned out, this is the right type of selection for this game. And continuing with our uh, Wallaby Watch for this June series that's coming up uh, this week, we're having a look at the back row. And, Toby, who who would you put in? I mean, there's two names that I think we, everyone has sort of pretty obviously in your head. Yeah, Hooper and Pocock, of course. And that's provided that Poey is fit and ready to go because he has suffered another injury. So I'm hoping that doesn't you know, derail that plan to have him at perhaps number eight or number six. I keep Hooper at seven. Um, I was happy with Poey playing at number eight through the World Cup and he seems to be able to carry the ball enough to, to get away with that. I think you need a line-out option at six. So I think having Hannigan there, who kind of has doubled as a lock in Super Rugby, I think he's done enough to hold that spot at six. Jack Dempsey's still coming back from injury, um, mm-hmm. so he probably won't have enough game time to be at least starting in the Wallabies. Um, but another guy that I'm really you know, high on at the moment is Caleb Timu. Um, he only played 30 minutes yes. on the weekend before going off. Um, but you know, he, ha- he has a really good ability to carry the ball. Um, I'd much prefer to have him in there compared to someone like Scott Higginbotham. I just don't have enough faith in, in Higgers to actually bring it at, at the top level. Um, and you've seen that over a number of years that he's been selected for one game and then he just kind of falls off the map again. I reckon Caleb Timo should start. I reckon, provided, like, I hope he recovers from that ankle injury he got on the weekend, but he's just something that we haven't had for a few years. And, I mean, Pocock's good at eight. He can do the job, but Timo's just been a game-changer for the Reds this year, I reckon. And you would still have Pocock in there? Yeah, you can put him in at six. He can still sort of do the defense. He can do the sort of fetcher role. But I, I, I just wonder whether your line-out suffers too much because of that. I know Timu uh, can probably jump. Pocock Timu, can Timu's also been jump in the Reds' line-out. Yeah. Has he? I don't know if he's been yeah. lifted. Yeah, no, he has. has he? Timo okay. has. And, and the Reds' line-out was pretty strong on the weekend. The Lions and the Reds were stealing a bit from each other, but mm. Timu's been in there. He's the, I still he's remember, the third, like, I guess, Cliffy Parley used to do it a lot when we'd lack that extra jumper. Parley would would be happy to be lifted and be pretty capable with that. I think, yeah, Timu could probably, if he doesn't do it already, could, could learn that skill. Hmm. Oh, he's on a rapid rise. He, um, I don't know. For, for me, I think he's probably only on the bench at this stage. I'm, I'm with Toby. I'll go Hannigan, Hooper, Pocock. Um, and, and a guy like... There's a lot of guys floating around. I think Timu's definitely the outstanding back rower in this, in this kind of young group coming through, particularly in the Reds. If you're looking for someone to cover your fetches, which is probably not a huge priority because you have Hooper and Pocock and at least one of them is going to play a whole game, most likely Hooper, um, the the guy who you might might look at with a bit of size is an Angus Scott Young. Um, I, I kind of like him in and around that squad. I like Korchik. I think he's been quietly busy and, and successful for the Reds. He's, he's doing a lot of, of work for them. He's, he's not a... He's not someone you notice a lot, but he's in malls uh, disrupting the opposition's set piece. He's in lineouts, um, and then we, I think we all agree Colby Fanger we think deserves a run as well. Well, let's get him a full game for the Rebels first. Hopefully, hopefully they'll let him play rather than bring him off the bench every single game. Yeah, I think the biggest issue we're going to have with the Wallabies, um, you know, if you weren't to play Ned Hannigan at six. 
and you know kept Poe at eight or Caleb Timo at eight. I don't know where our next quality number six comes from. Since Scott Fardy left, there's been that massive gap there. Mm. Um, I think if you had Hannigan as an understudy to Fardy, it would be amazing. It's just a shame he doesn't have those 60 caps. Um, he's killing it over there for Leinster at the moment, um, but we're not gonna. It doesn't seem like he's going to be back. Um, definitely not this year, and and probably not for the World Cup. So this could be the end of Fardy's international career, which is a bit of a shame. But um, I'm just hoping someone else can step up. It might be Angus Scott Young. Um, you know, there's there's a few guys that could do it. The Petty Tamani could come back into form, but at the moment we're a bit thin on the ground, which is a shame. Mm. A lot of guys coming through, though, so we might be. We have to consider we're in a rebuilding phase, and at least we've got we've got a lot of guys challenging at a super level for those positions. Like the Reds have got plethora of new guys. Even the Rebels are sharing it around. Someone will rise rise to the occasion and and um, and, and hopefully give us that that obvious choice. And then the only other one which we we said was Jack Dempsey when yeah. he comes back mm. if he's ready to step straight in I, I think he was we really liked him last year it's such a shame to see him get injured in that barbarians game it's just a way yeah, waste really of an opportunity to not get on the spring tour and, and then Hannigan again it was Hannigan and then Jack Dempsey was dominant at the Waratahs and then Hannigan got another opportunity and, and took it and ran with it which is great Jack Dempsey comes back I hope he's I hope he's exactly what he was before because he, he's someone we can really use he's a big frame and, and seems to have the right mind set too yeah, I mean, I know what you mean, Tobes. Like, looking at the names, we just look very thin. But I think if it does change a little bit, if you suddenly, if we had a fit Jack Dempsey, well, you know, coming off, he's like man of the match and that Bledsoe we won. And you have, like, someone who the Brumbies lost at the start of the season, um, Valentini. If we get him with a full season, I think he could definitely be, like, a future six. And that just sort of, like, changes sort of the outlook quite yeah. a lot if you have those guys there. No, I agree. Definitely. It, it, my biggest issue would be if someone like Pocock or Hooper, particularly Hooper, if Hooper went down, I just, you know, with the amount of other injuries we mm. have or guys coming back with limited match fitness, if we were to lose Hooper or Pocock or both of them, I think we'd be in big trouble throughout the rugby championship or even versus Ireland. Like, you never know. Hooper could go first game, bang, does his knee. Oh, and then what do you that. do? You probably put touch wood, touch wood. You probably put Poey into seven, right? And then you probably have someone like Timu at eight and then Hannigan at six. And that's not too bad. It's when you lose the next person. Um, yeah, it's then, then what your really bench looks be like with that. So, yeah. Hmm. You've got a bit of leeway there, but it's it would be nice to have, like you say, guys like Valentini and Dempsey coming back in that are available in the, the wider squad there. Definitely. Just remember the focus is is next year. Like this year, you want to win. You want to get momentum going into a big international year with the World Cup. But at least in and around our super teams, we've got a lot of these, maybe they're second tier prospects in the back row, but there's a lot of them. And they're all doing slightly different things. They're all having some impact. Uh, I reckon there's going to be, you know, some really good stocks for the future there. We could be really positive about that. Yeah, I think Checker's just got to be a little bit careful about when he's blooding these people, um, mm. just so they don't lose confidence. If they're thrown in the, you know, in the international scene a little bit too early, um, it can kind of derail their confidence a little bit. So, I think he'll he'll no he'll strike the right balance with 
you know, a few more senior guys and then introducing these younger guys slowly. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be difficult to do against Ireland because they're just so good. So I know Nasserani's not eligible yet, but if you could choose between him and Timo at the moment, would you guys still stay with Timo or Nasserani? Like, he started really hot, but he's sort of not been as sort of good these last couple of weeks. I'd definitely take Nasserani. I think he he probably has a slightly better all-round game. Um and yeah, he just seems perhaps a little bit more durable as well, and probably a bit fitter. Um, so he'd be, yeah, he'd be my number six or number eight somewhere there for the Wallabies if he was available for this. You know, obviously the June series and beyond. I'd be comfortable taking Timu. Nice, Sarani's been a bit hot and cold, and I, I wasn't that aware of him coming into this season. I haven't seen enough to really change my mind at this stage. Like. I, I, I have seen a lot a lot from Timu now that I really liked and it's incredible progression for him like he's just oh yeah flying up the flying up well, the he was playing the Broncos yeah that's you know, right so he does have that you know he's got that league edge to him he's not you know he's not shying away from the contact he enjoys it um and you know he does even though he's a bulkier guy he seems to have a pretty reasonable level of fitness where he can keep going and and doesn't drop off too much in his carries and stuff, so it's good to see as well. Mm. Well, that's it for the forwards. Uh, next week, we'll start having a look at the backs, which will be a few interesting selections to come out of there, I bet. Um, let's keep going. Round 12. Round 12 hitting up, and we have some three buys, two Australian teams and the Sunwolves. Brumbies and the Reds all don't play this week, so... A little bit lighter on the Australian Conference. Uh, the first game, the Haguaris versus the Chiefs um, coming out of Rotorua on Friday. Yeah, and the Chiefs will be quite well-rested after having that bye week. Um, Haguaris, you know, three wins in a row, but I think four wins in a row is going to be too much of a stretch for them. I think possibly this, this tour schedule might catch up with them in terms of, you know, being fresh enough to take on a a well-rested Chiefs team with, with plenty of talent across the part. So I think the Chiefs will take this one. Not really sure of the margin yet. I'll probably wait till I see the lineups. But, yeah, confidently taking the Chiefs here. I think I'll be the same. The The Chiefs should be in a, a really good position to to take this game. But sort of thought this last week, the, the Hags um, knocked over the Blues. The Blues didn't quite have a settled lineup. Um, you never know. The... the they might be the ones to finally do it. It'd be a pretty amazing feat if they did. But yeah, I think this one, the Chiefs, the Chiefs are a significantly better team than the Blues, so I don't think they'll find them such easy, easy meat. Yeah, agreed. I think the Chiefs—they're definitely aware of what the Hags can do now. After watching them a couple of weeks, they probably were like, "Oh, nice, dumb, dumb Australian teams that can't beat them." But now the Blues have fallen off as well. They'll definitely be on high alert. I think. Next game, we have uh, the Rebels coming back from South Africa. And who do they have to meet them when they come back to Melbourne? None other than the Crusaders. And that's it's not going to be a nice way to come back from their overseas tour. Is there any way they can get a win against a Saders team that we're just saying before? They, they're just clinical. Yeah, the Rebels won't be too excited with their house guests when they come back to Melbourne. The, the Crusaders, top of the comp, and... Uh, Still, still playing smart footy, winning away. I don't think the Rebels really have a chance here. That the Crusaders will cleverly deconstruct them. That back line isn't settled yet. 
Um, this this is probably an opportunity for the rebels uh, the rebels to set their back line, set their forwards, and just try and compete. Not like they've got to try and win, but I I think they've got to they've got to take a game plan that's going to suit the rest of the season into this game and and try and apply it and and maybe stick with it even if things are a bit of a lost cause. Don't don't just turn into a bunch of individuals and and give it away and 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 chase you know ridiculous um, sort of attacking options. You just got to stick with your plan and really bet it in against quality opposition, even if you end up fifteen points behind and not really with a chance of winning. Yeah, it's it's tough, isn't it, for them? They're they're going to be a little bit down on themselves after a pretty lackluster tour. Um, I think they'll be happy to be home, um, but. Yeah, meeting the Crusaders, I could see this one being a little bit closer than people would expect, um, particularly given the Crusaders have a few injuries. If the Rebels put out a, you know, a smart team with perhaps Colby at seven, they get the maybe Maddox back in the back line. I don't know about Genia, but yeah, I think it'll be closer than people expect. I'm still going to take the Crusaders. I think you'd be stupid not to. Um, given the way they're closing out these games. But, yeah, look, the Rebels, mate, the Rebels, they need a win soon. When it's going to come, I'm not too sure. But, you know, let's let's just see what they do. Hey, stupid, what do you think? <laughs> and laugh at me because I've written, I have written down Rebels in the show, Doc, as my tip. I, I don't think I, in my heart I'll actually put down the Rebels. Pretty sure you don't mean it, though. I just, I just, I have hope that the rebels will is, return. Is Guinea back? Guinea's not back yet. I don't know yet. I'm not 100 percent sure. But look, we've seen amazing things this week. We've seen the Reds come out and beat the Lions. Surely, the the rebels have beaten the Crusaders before. They've done it at home. They could do it again. I, I just, I'm writing a bit of a fairy tale in my head. I'm not sure I can actually put down the Crusaders to win. Lightning could strike twice. Exactly. You, you don't. I think if the if the listeners actually saw the the kind of the amount of points you are behind in tipping, I feel like yes, you do need to make some big calls. This might be, you know, contributing to your downfall even further. But you know what? I I like. I actually do think it's going to be maybe a ten point five ten points in this game. Um, I think that the rebels will be pretty fired up to to make an impression coming home. Don't know if they can do it, Arch, but. All the power to you if you want to tip them, mate. <laughs> Look, if I'm going to go down in tipping, I don't want to just like slowly drown. I want to be on like a jet plane, like going straight into a mountaintop and just like dying in this burst of explosion in all my fiery <laughs> glory. And just, but we'll see. We'll see whether I can actually actually have the courage to put them down when well, it comes a good to way tipping. To do it then. <laughs> um, let's keep looking. Yeah, no, yeah. The rivers will win, and you won't tip. See, that would be the worst thing now if that happens. Uh, all right. Now, now I can't not tip It's them. totally going to happen. You should tip the Rebels. <laughs> God damn you guys. Um, next game, we have the Lions heading into the cake scene at Wellington. Um, and look, the Lions will have to pick up their socks after that sort of display at Queensland. And the Hurricanes are not going to make it easy for them. Um, I'm definitely taking the Hurricanes in this. I think the the Canes are just going to be too strong. Yeah, give me the Canes as well. Um, I think they're probably they'll be happy to 
probably catch the Lions at a time of where they're going to be a little bit unsettled and a bit desperate to get this one now that they dropped the Reds game. Um, they're going to be competitive in this one, but the Canes have too much firepower, and I think probably catching the, the Lions at the right time. I see them probably getting up in this one by 10 points or more. There's definitely a recipe if you look at what the Sunwolves did to the Hurricanes this past round and what the Lions managed to build in that second half against the Reds where they did have dominance. It's it's a big ask, but there's potential there. If they can run that same game plan and get rid of all that untidy play that they started with, they could absolutely shock the Hurricanes here. But even doing that, I don't think they can do it for 80 minutes. And like you said, the Hurricanes have so much firepower. Just cup runneth over. Um, I think the cake tin will, will stay that dominant home ground for the Canes. I'm, I'm tipping them, and I and I reckon they. I reckon, I reckon it's competitive, but then it, it ends up being a 12 to 15 point buffer. Yeah, agreed. Mm. Next, we have the Waratahs coming off a bye and um, playing at Brookvale this week versus the Blues. And look, if there was ever a chance for Australia to break that sort of streak the New Zealand teams have against us. This is a very good opportunity, I think. Yeah, I think it's getting close to 40 games in a row that they've beaten Australian opposition. Um, Blues, shambolic. We've talked about them already. Um, Waratahs have had a week off to forget that Lions game. I think Falau might be back, which is a big boost for them, despite all the comments and some of the controversy that he's been going through. Hopefully he can focus for this game. Might be good to be playing in Brookvale, slightly smaller ground, um, away from you know central focus of, of playing at Allianz. So I can see the Waratahs, you know, really fronting up in this game and and putting some some points on a Blues team that I think will have the ability to score some points as well. But yeah, I think just overall Waratahs are a better team and they they should get this done. Yeah, if it's going to happen, it's going to be this this week with the top of the surrounding conference versus the rock bottom of the New Zealand at home for us. It's we have we have the team. Waratahs definitely have the lineup. They've just got to play it for eighty minutes um, and don't let don't let the Blues uh, s- sort of disrupt you into playing a, a silly territory game where you, where you just keep giving the ball away. The teams have to value some possession. And you might not always be in their half of the field, but don't just kick it away. And if you are going to kick it away, make sure it goes in the touch so you can actually compete for it, not not just hand over nice counter-attacking opportunities for these New Zealand teams. There's too many good players in their lineups. They'll, they won't give up all the attacking, counter-attacking opportunity lightly. So I, I'm going Waratahs, and I'd, this has got to be it. This has got to be the end of the streak. has to be. Mm. Yeah, you're right, Leo. And it's like... If you play as a team, you beat the Blues because the Blues are a team of individuals and they don't really come together well at all. So if you, if we hold on to the ball, we'll definitely be able to get the win. And we were talking about it before. I think Jack Dempsey might actually um, be on, be named on the bench this week. We'll see how he's going um, with his fitness, but that would be a big, big plus to have him coming on late in the game as well. But definitely task for me as well. Our second last game of the week, we have the another. Good-looking game out of um, Cape Town. The Storm is taking on the Bulls, and this is these South African games are just shaping up like they're, they're such good games to watch because these teams are all just fighting and jostling for that second place in that conference. Yeah, so the Stormers have been very good at home, 
but the Bulls seem to be on the rise and they were a little bit unlucky not to not to get away with a win last last round. Um, they're right in, in amongst the, the leaders of this South African conference. The Lions are out in front, but they're only a couple of wins back, a couple of good wins. They're, they're almost in touch with first. And the Stormers, if they're, if they're thinking that Willems is going to go on this tour soon and they need to get a win, that, that might be enough to motivate them. But I, I think I'm going to go the, the away team in this week to try and see the Bulls upset the Stormers. Uh, they've just got... A lot of attacking prowess. They're they're playing really exciting rugby, and and they probably keep the Stormers running around the field too much to to settle in, and 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 I think the Bulls will win. Yeah, I agree. I reckon Bulls will get this going. I think they'll be um, pretty annoyed at not getting that win last week um, versus the Highlanders. They'll feel a bit cheated out of that, and I reckon they'll be fired up for this to break the Stormers' home ground winning streak. Yeah, one of the games of the round for me, I think the Bulls have shown so much um, and they, I was impressed with them against the Highlanders. The Stormers, I wasn't so impressed with, um, but I think they probably have enough to beat a Bulls team that's still a little bit inexperienced. Um, playing at home, I think if this one was being played in Pretoria, I'd take, take the Bulls pretty comfortably. Um, I think over there in Cape Town, Bulls visiting, I think it's going to be a really tight game. I actually worry a little bit with Willemsa being off after this week that perhaps they're going to be a little bit desperate, the Stormers, to actually pick this one up. Um, I think it's going to be really physical. Hopefully pretty expansive as well. We've seen a lot of these inter-conference rivalries with the South African teams as being quite expansive games with plenty of offloading and plenty of points in them. So hopefully this one is no different, but... I'm going to take the Stormers. It's it's a tough pick, um, but I think Stormers may, maybe two two to four points they'll they'll win by. And the last game of the round, we have the Highlanders continuing on their South African journey, and I wonder if they'll be looking to pick up another win when they head down to Durban versus Sharks team. That look they've shown a lot of promise. They've got some big boys there, but Highlanders just showed they just know how to win and. I think they have the forward pack to front up to the big Sharks boys and the Duprees and Duprez. Um, so I think the Highlanders will be able to make this two from two on this journey. Yeah, I think Highlanders as well. I think they weren't at the top of their game um, against the Bulls. They have a few things, a few problems to iron out. I think they'll be they'll be a bit more comfortable um, over there in Durban this week. Not having to play at altitude is a big factor as well. Um, they dealt with it pretty well against the Bulls, able to close out that game, as we know. Um, Sharks, again, a very good lineup. Um, talent across the parks and big forwards that can run it with those, as we say, those Dupree boys. Um, Robert Dupree at fly half, directing them around. I just think that the Highlanders, they just they know how to win games like this. I don't think they'll panic by any means. Um, I think this will be another entertaining game as well. Um, but yeah, Highlanders, I'm going to take them, um, but wouldn't be surprised to see the Sharks go ahead early. Yeah, it's interesting. On, on Purely on numbers, you've got Highlanders have had six wins so far this season, and the Sharks have only got three. They're bottom of the South African Conference, sharing the bottom points with the Stormers on one less win, but it, it would make sense that the Highlanders should be able to come in and beat this team. Um, maybe I'm just feeling generous, Archie. Maybe I'm just considering the Sharks to help you try and run down the lead in tipping. Um, oh, so generous. The, the, the way this... 
Oh, so generous. You know, I have room to be generous, so why not? Uh, the Highlanders team is a high-tempo, uh, very skillful team. They're, they've got the tools to run a big Sharks pack around and tire them out and expose them. So that's the way I would see this playing out. But if the Sharks can can muscle up, and again, it's it's all about possession. This, this I'm going to say this all the time. It's all about possession. If they can rumble through the forwards, I don't know that the Highland has... Highlanders have quite the same bulk in their forward pack to hold up a rolling Sharks team. And and they might be able to roll a few set pieces over the line, score a few tries, and then they just have to contain the Highlanders. And there's, you know, there's a chance that they weren't brilliant last week. Nothing says they'll be any better this week. You'd, you'd think they'll, they'll, maybe they'll feel relief from getting that win and they'll, they'll relax rather than having had a loss and realizing they really do need to front up. Uh, I'm very tempted to go the Sharks. I'll, I want to see what the Highlanders' team list looks like because I didn't mind their their fullback Fletcher Smith this week, but I think they probably are better with Ben Smith at the back. It's we'll see what see what happens. Enough see what the, the injury. Yeah, I, I, if if they're back to their normal starting lineup, it's pretty hard to tip against them. But um, I just want to see this this uh, state of their two lineups before I lock that one in. Mm. It's weird you talk about like possession. <clears throat> Like, the Highlanders are the one team that seem to play best without, like, heaps of possession. They just kick the ball away all the time and still manage to get wins. It's a weird thing that no other team would ever sort of be mm. coaching to do that, but I don't I don't know how... Oh, I wouldn't be it. coaching any of the Australian teams to go over that, no. No, no, definitely not. But there you go. That's all the games for this week. God, there's some really great rugby on this weekend. I'm going to be... Watching, set, setting myself down on the couch, watching hours and hours of this, I think. Um, but again, that's all from us, guys. Um, thanks for everyone for tuning in. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and follow us up on Facebook or Instagram. We're at Running Rugby Podcast. Or send us any questions or issues you have with what we're telling you at runningrugbypodcast at gmail.com. As I said, guys, get ready for a big weekend of rugby and hopefully, finally, the Australian team's going to break this streak versus New Zealand. Come on, Tars. But anyway, keep on running. Run. Let's cover the Tars. Let's do it.